So the scripture reading for today, we should have it up on the screens, comes from uh, John 9. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 12. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. Which is kind of interesting because he never would have saw him in the first place. <laughs> Wouldn't have been able to recognize him anyway. <laughs> Just one of those things that I'm, as I'm preparing throughout the week, I'm going, he never wanted to, that just doesn't make sense to me. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, let us turn back to John. I'm actually going to give us a little uh, context into the situation where we find ourselves with Jesus his disciples, where he at, what's going on socially, politically at this point in time. Now, I, some books in the Bible go, you know, from chapter to chapter to chapter chronologically. Like, this is the beginning of the story, this is the middle of the story, and this is the end of the story. From verse 1 to however many, or from, yeah, verse 1 of chapter 1 to however many chapters that they have. I'm not quite sure what John does here. But I wanted to go back into chapter 8, uh, the chapter before, and just provide a little context. So where we have Jesus now is teaching at the temple. And he's teaching, and it, 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 there's a relationship between the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, and Jesus and his disciples. It's, they're, they're kind of pitted... Uh, against each other, and they do a little back and forth. So with verses 1 through 11, it talks about the woman caught in adultery. And all this really is, is the Pharisees trying to trap Jesus, essentially. They've heard about him. They know who he is, what he's trying to do. Uh, they kind of think he has an agenda. They're trying to trap him. And pretty much what essentially happens at the end Jesus forces them, you guys are probably, most of you are familiar with the story, he calls out their sin instead. He kind of bests, Jesus bests them almost. And so that's a little bit more of the, the strife. 
It's, it's the butting heads a little bit. So we move on from verses 12 to 20. Jesus is teaching more in the temple. He proclaims himself, just like we saw in chapter 9. He says, I am the light of the world. I am from above. My father sent me. You don't know my father. All of this is just rubbing. And all the people around him in this Jewish context, is they know exactly what he's saying. He's claiming to be Messiah. And the Pharisees don't like it. There's further dialogue in verses 21 to 30. Um, he says, I am from above. Verses, uh, verse 44, you are the children of your father, the devil. Ouch. <laughs> I mean, it's just getting more escalated and more escalated as this conversation, as, as this teaching goes on. Um, he, he's actually not the first person to call out the Pharisees. Remember when we were talking about John the baptizer down at the River Jordan? He's okay. baptizing people and, he's, and the Pharisees come and see him, and they begin to criticize him. And John the Baptizer says, you brood of vipers. It's kind of that same thing. Nobody, this is the elite of the church, of their, their church back in the day. You don't, you don't mess with these people. They have the power. They're kind of like the, the family. You don't, oh, <laughs> you don't go against them. And so these little pokes at the bear, um, no, it's, it's, not, it's not a good situation. Finally, we get to verse 58. Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. They're, they're trying to, they're, there's conversation going back and forth. Uh, no, we're, you know, we're, we're of our father Abraham. This is our prestige. This is who we are. And Jesus, he's bringing about something brand new, and they can't see it. Until finally, he says, I am. Which is very cringy. Because everyone around him knows what that means. That is God's name. Yeah. And he's proclaiming this about himself. And at that point, that's when the Pharisees start to pick up stones and want to kill him. So that is something in that day and age you just you don't do. As Lane would say, it's cringy. That's his word. And I, I'm doing a little imaginative contemplation as I'm reading this, as one of his disciples, and as this dialogue goes from bad to worse, really, in my mind, socially, I just, oh, Jesus, oh, why did you say that? What, just stop. Yeah. Until finally, at this proclamation, the, 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 the summit of, of his declaration, I am. That's when they kind of grab him and say, okay, we got to go. All right, we're, we're, we're leaving now. So now we, uh, we pick up in chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Now, if this is chronologically, this is what we just left. He's pretty much fleeing with his disciples for his life um, and walking away from the temple. And as he's moving along, he sees a man born blind. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Now here we see the disciples putting God into a box. 
and actually, I don't think this is my original thought. I was thinking about this this week. I think this actually came from Zoe Reyes and when she, when she taught, the, the God box. Mm -hmm. Like, this is our, our worldview. This is how we view God. This is the way he's always acted before. And so this is the box that we're going to put God in to, to kind of understand God. This is how he operates. We're going to press him into this box that we have for him. Um, they're not actually all that wrong in their suppositions of seeing suffering and joining uh, some sort of blame to it. It's actually rooted in the Mosaic Covenant, the Covenant of Moses that we find in Deuteronomy 28, which I wanted to go back and just briefly go over to kind of give you some context as to far as why the disciples are thinking the way they're thinking. <laughs> Deuteronomy 28. Moses says, this is the covenant that God makes through Moses with his people. It says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commandments that I am giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. He goes on to say you will be blessed in, in, in your fields and in, in the towns. You will be blessed when you wake up and when you go to bed. Your whole life will be surrounded by God's blessing. But, going down to verse 15, but... If you refuse to listen to the Lord your God and do not obey all the commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses shall come upon you and overwhelm you. And it, it mirrors the verses before. It's like what you do when you're doing well and you do not. Just like if you listen to God, you will be blessed in the fields and in the towns and when you get up and when you lie down. If you do not listen, if you do not obey, cursed will you be in the towns and in the fields. Cursed will you be when you get up and when you lay down. Your herds and flocks and wherever you go and whatever you do will be cursed. This is the disciples, and for a lot of people, this God box that they put him in. This is how God operates. This is what I know. This is what I know from Scripture. So it's not that far off. It's very well based. So this is what we're going to imagine God as, and he's not really going to deviate because he's in our little God box. This covenant is a conditional covenant. It's, it's a if-then covenant. There's, there's conditions. If you do this, then you will have this. Or conversely, if you don't do this, then you will have this. This is your consequence. These are the conditions. That's why it's a conditional covenant. These are the conditions of this covenant. They're conditional upon your obedience or your disobedience. Um, in the Mosaic covenant, to the law, essentially, given in the Old Testament. Um, and it's a, it's a concept that we see further examples of going on after Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. Um, we see Noah and the flood. There, there was a ton of disobedience 
And so God destroyed the earth and saved one family. Uh, we see it with um, King David's um, royal mess up. And ultimately, God punished him by um, his son dying. Um, so the disciples and this idea of a if and then um, action from God is, is not that far off. The, to see suffering and to assign an if mm -hmm. to, that to that then that you see. Um, on the other hand, you have some covenants in the Old Testament, like before we get to Moses, when we get to Abraham, that is a, an unconditional covenant. That's when God took Abraham and said, look at the stars in the sky, look at the grains of the sand. You're, these, just how you cannot count them, you cannot number them, so will your descendants be? Not if, not then, it's just this is how it is. And even when he was proclaiming and putting into action his covenant, um, I don't know if you remember, but he actually, he lines up, if you can imagine right here, he, God lines up animals and he slices them in half. Essentially, there's, there's, there's goats and oxen and all that stuff. He makes a path in between this bloody mess. It's very archaic to our minds. But then to further prove to Abraham that it's unconditional, there's nothing that Abraham can do to break this covenant, he actually puts Abraham to sleep. And God himself walks through the slain animals as the symbol of this unconditional covenant without Abraham. I think it's... It's a little weird to our yeah. mindset, <laughs> but I think it's a beautiful picture of God's love and his, um, just his power, what he can do. He can have unconditional covenants. He can have conditional covenants because God does what he wants, <laughs> essentially, which is kind of the theme of this, this message here. There's also examples like Job where everybody tells Job. So essentially, the story of Job is he, he's, he's a very wealthy person of God. He's got, uh, he's got sons and daughters, a huge family. He's got fields and flocks, and, and he is rich beyond belief in this time and in this culture. And then there's a little something that Job and his family does, don't see. is this little conversation between the devil and God saying, of course, Job, obeys you. Look, look at him. You've, you've blessed him beyond belief. He's wealthy. He has no all the creature comforts. He doesn't want for anything. Let me take it all away and then we'll see how Job reacts. And so God says, okay. So here's what happens. He, his, the, the raiders come and they take all of his, his land, his wealth. His, there's, there's an accident and his children die there's even uh, sores and boils that begin to form on Job. And all he can do, all that he has left, is to sit in an ash heap, in a burlap sack. And his friends come along and they try to comfort him. 
But they have in their mindset, they have their God box as well. They see the then and go, oh, there must, there must be an if. What is your if, Job? What did you do? And it's a very long and drawn out story of all of, the, all of this conversation, this dialogue going on. And we know from this story that Job didn't do anything. But that was his friend's God box. They see suffering, they see the if, they see the then of the suffering, and they logically conclude that there must be an if. What did you do? How did you mess up? What is your sin before God? Job can say nothing because he doesn't have sin before God. This is not the result of his sin. Which, just a side note, when someone is suffering, it's not such a good idea to go and judge them. <laughs> Even though you love them and you're looking out for them. I had a rough conversation, a phone call with my dad uh, this past week. We've been going through a lot of stress. It's a lot of life change for our family right now. And um, it's, it's, it was a low point uh, over these past few weeks. Um, a lot of unknowns, and I'm, long story short, I'm going to be getting done with my job at the end of the month and um, kind of figure out what I want to do going forward. And so my dad calls me, and just like Job's friends, he pronounces judgment. It's like, not, not the best thing that someone who is suffering wants to hear at that moment. It's not what I needed. Um, please don't do that to your friends. <laughs> don't be a Job's friend. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm also thinking it's really common for us to look at a then and not try to figure out the if. We're, we're kind of nosy people. I kept thinking of uh, the episode of The Office. <laughs> it's, it, it's in season one where they, they find out it's one of the, the, the lesser characters that we don't know anything about. And the word comes out that he was formerly incarcerated. And so pretty much the whole premise of the episode is everybody being incredibly nosy and trying to figure out what did this guy do to get, to get himself into prison. And of course, you know, judgment and blame is, is, is cast on this person. And ultimately, this coworker is so fed up by the end of the episode, by the end of the working day, that he quits. And he says, it was, it was like embezzlement or something like that. It was this blue collar little uh, math thing that he did that he got caught for and landed into prison. And um, I just thought that was, <laughs> that was just a, a kind of a true picture of what we can tend to do, where our minds can tend to go sometimes when we see suffering. Um, and just our natural curiosity and what we, uh, what our worldview um, gets us thinking about, essentially. So more on this subject, I, I wanted to bring out um, a little bit of a philosophy class. So what, what the disciples are doing is they're actually committing a logical fallacy when they, when they ask Jesus, what did this man do? Was it his sins 
for his parents' sins. It's called a, the, the logical fallacy of the false dichotomy. They're actually not letting Jesus speak, really. They're, they're coming up with an answer for him, and it can only be in these two categories, Jesus. Where, which was it? I have a question, and there must be logically just two different answers, right? But no, that's, <laughs> that's wrong. In logic, logic is the study or the science of correct reasoning. When you have a question, how you reason it out. It studies arguments, which consist of a set of premises together with a conclusion. If then is actually a logical proposition. True propositions, and then there's true propositions, and then there are false propositions, which are fallacies. And this is what we find the mistake of this disciple's making here. It's actually the logical fallacy. Verse 3. Let's read it here. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. This man, it wasn't his sins. And it wasn't his parents' sin. This man was born blind for what I'm about to do right now in this man's life. For this exact moment, this man was born blind, which is just amazing. The amount of suffering that this man went through, we later read, he was a beggar. Because blind men couldn't, you couldn't work in that culture. There was no Americans with Disabilities Act. There was no wheelchair ramps. There was none of that. If you were lame, if you were blind, your profession was resulted to begging for money. You were kind of the social, maybe even religious cast out. That's why we see the 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 man at the, the churning waters pool, the, right. the lame man, he was a beggar. All he could do was sit there and, and maybe his friends could, could drag him into the pool to try to get healed. This was, their, this was their lot in life. No, Jesus said, it wasn't his sin, just like in the story of Job. It wasn't his sin. It wasn't his parents' sin. It's for what I'm about to do right now. Let's jump to verse 5. While I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. There it is, that I am statement. And it's really interesting because... In the book of John, you see all these I am statements that Jesus makes. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am, I am, I am. And there is no further proof that we need. Uh, John is one of the writers that really, it's his mission in his book, in his gospel writings, to drive home the message that Jesus is deity. He is God. And which really 
I, I don't understand um, the groups of people that are out there that try to deny this. Like we had our little ministry with our um, the Mormons. Mormons. <laughs> we would come and yeah, we would invite them in and we would feed them because they're poor teenagers and they don't get enough food. And we would. <laughs> They really, they don't they, get much they, money for food, so if they come knocking, keep them. Yeah, <laughs> we had our little ministry, and we loved on them, and we tried to engage with them um, lovingly. Um, and I brought this to their attention. They're, they're a um, sect that don't believe in the deity of Christ. Yeah. Um, read, read the book of John, because what Jesus, in the, in the Greek language... It's really interesting. It actually doesn't um, translate all that well what he's specifically saying into English, but in the original language, it reads ego imi. Those are both I am statements. So literally, when he's saying this, it literally translates into English, I am, I am the light of the world. Hmm. I am the I am. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Amen. How sight works on the biological scientific level is light bounces off objects enters our eyes, and then our brains kind of interpret it for us and tell us what we're seeing. It all is very light-dependent. So I, I, I love that Jesus uh, kind of, that's his I am statement for this story right here. It's so very profound. What this man born blind literally needs is light. <laughs> And just like this man born blind needs light to see, it's the same thing we see over and over and over again in Jesus' dealings with the people. Just like the, uh, the woman at the well needed water to drink. I am the living water that leads to life. Everything you need. Mm-hmm. Verses 6 and 7. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. You notice how the man never really asks for this miracle? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure this is a story that's been... <laughs> passed on. I'm sure we don't have all the specific details, every single word that e everybody was saying, but that just, you know, I noticed things like that. <laughs> but going back to verse one, Jesus saw him. Now at this point, Jesus is kind of running for, for his life from the Pharisees but he makes it a point to see him. We've talked about this before with the other speakers that have been here. God 
of faith. Um, further on, this concept of light, Jesus equates with faith. It's this, this um, faith that we are, I truly believe, are given by God the Father. Um, it's, it's a really great picture throughout this, this whole narrative. Now, it, there's like 40 verses in this whole story, which we're not going to read all of them, but Throughout this, we see the progression of this man's faith. He starts out, um, there's, a, there's a parallel between the physical and the, the metaphysical, the spiritual going on here. And it's the same journey that Jesus brings him along. First, Jesus finds him and then grants to him the light of life. The literal light and the light of life of faith. Now, we move from this God box that the, the disciples are trying to answer for us and for Jesus of kind of the old Mosaic covenant. This is the way God operates, the if, the then. But what did Jesus come to do? He gave us the new covenant. Amen. This is the new God box. This is our new worldview that we should have about God our Father. Jesus brings something new to the table. It's not that God operated falsely or that we need to throw this old way of thinking out, but it's moving the covenant with God's people along into something new and ultimately is including the whole world. Mm -hmm. We've covered this before, but Jesus sees us. Matthew 9.36 says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless mm -hmm. like sheep without a shepherd. Christ sees us. Mm -hmm. Our spiritual condition, and we uh, read about this in Paul's letters, specifically in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, but our spiritual condition is blind without faith. Amen. In Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, it says, And you were dead in your trans trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. You were dead in your sins. You were blind. It's kind of the same thing. But you were made alive. Yep, exactly. But God, right? Yeah. Who is rich in mercy. Jesus sees our spiritual condition and he opens our eyes. Matthew 13, 11 and 13. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has been not been given. This is why I speak in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not understand. This is another story of where Jesus is drawing this parallel between the physical attribute of eyesight and faith. Some people 
see or claim they can see, but they do not see. As we see, um, we'll go on to that further with Jesus' um, further interactions with the Pharisees in this story. <laughs> but do you think the physical washing that this man did in the pool of Siloam, did, did that heal him? No. Do you think, it's like, this man has probably washed his face hundreds of thousands of times. Like it's, it's not the physical washing of his face with the mud, spit mud on his eyes. It's the actual physical, it's the spiritual act of getting up, going to that pool and obeying Jesus. That, that is his faith. And we see this over and over again with interactions between Jesus and the people. Your faith has healed you. The, the woman who just wants to touch Jesus' garment because she knows if, if she can just get close enough to Jesus to even just touch his garment because she realizes who this man is and what he does and who has sent him. This man can heal me. It's not... The washing in the pool. It's not the sipping of the water in the well. It's not the touching of the garment. It's the faith. It is that faith that that springs the action. Amen. That causes the healing. Can I poke the bear a little bit? It's not. It's not about saying a prayer either. I kind of grew up in a spiritual background where all you needed to do was raise your hand when the preacher was preaching, and that, that got you a ticket in. But we see, we clearly see from Scripture that Jesus teaches, who, who are you? Oh, Lord, but we, we've done this in your name, and we've done that in your name. What does Jesus say? Depart from me. I never knew you. It's not about raising your hand that gets you a ticket in. It's just like it's not about going in the pool and washing your face. It's about your faith. About your heart. Now to recap, verses 11 through 12, we're entering into this dialogue where the blind man now has sight, and now all of his neighbors are coming around and saying, they're, they're squabbling. Who is this guy? Is this the same guy that we knew? Is this the blind man? But this can't be the blind man, because now he sees, and that's never been done before, and that's not in our God box. Like, what is going on? And so they're so wrapped up in this man not being like the way he was before, that they take him to the Pharisees. And so we go, oh, no. Not this again. It's on now. So now let me recap 13 through 17. So the, now we have more squabbling between the Pharisees and the neighbors and the man. And the Pharisees are still upset with Jesus, clearly. They wanted to stone him back in the previous chapter. back? <laughs> they have this obvious bent and bias against Jesus. And so... There's this a bunch of back and forth going on. Well, did Jesus heal you? Who, who is this? How did this happen? The Pharisees say, 
don't know, he says. This man called Jesus, he put mud on my eyes, told me to go wash, and now I can see. And we see this, this, this squabbling, this, this very negative back and forth between all these different characters who are brought forth. And so the Pharisees, they don't know what's going on. They finally call for the man's parents to identify this guy because this, this doesn't fit in their, their, their box of Jesus because Jesus is clearly not from God because he, because he claims to be God. So that we're going to throw that right out. So clearly... Uh, maybe this wasn't the same man that Jesus did his whatever thing with. So they call in the man's parents, and they're scared to death of the Pharisees. They know that when you align yourself with this Jesus of Nazareth, who claims to be God, you get thrown out of the synagogue. And that is a very, very important thing in this culture. This is how your connection to God this is your, your social, your political, your, your religious, your everything is tied up. This is where you go to meet God at the synagogue. This is your main connection to your God. You do not want to get thrown out of the synagogue. And so they make all these excuses. Uh, yeah, this, this is him, but I, I, I just, ooh, I don't know. Why don't you go ask him? I, I'm not so sure. They kind of put the blame back on their son. For their own fear. And so the sons brought in again the blind man into the Pharisees. Um, verses 28 through 33. And then there's this very poignant conversation that the man has with the Pharisees at this point. He goes, why is this? This is the, the, the blind man speaking to the Pharisees. Like, unlike his parents, he's not afraid to speak up for what he now believes because of his interaction with Jesus. He goes, I don't know. I once, all I know is that once I was blind, but now I can see. He says, why is this so hard for you? Yeah. <laughs> uh -oh. He begins to poke the bear. <laughs> It's not so hard for him to see, I mean, physically. Why is it so hard for you to see? And then, obviously, what happens when you poke the bear with the Pharisees? You get thrown out of the synagogue, so that's exactly what happens. He gets thrown out of the synagogue, which is exactly what his parents were trying to avoid. His parents feared the Pharisees, but it's amazing because of the man's faith, I think, he was willing to stand up for what he believed in to these spiritual bullies, we could call them. You know why? Because perfect faith casts out fear. Another part of the Bible was like, oh, that's Perfect faith casts out fear. He didn't have any fear. He didn't need it. He didn't need them. He didn't need the synagogue. He just needed Jesus. Which, at the end of the day, that's all we need. At the end of all this, verses 35 through 39, Jesus has another interaction with the blind man. He sees him and he goes up to him. This is where Jesus really brings it home. This is where the culmination of the man's faith 
is turned into true worship of Jesus the Messiah for who he is. Jesus spells here the connection between uh, the, the, that the writer has been trying to make this whole time, that sight equals faith. Can you pull up uh, verse 35 through 39? No? That's all right. I heard it. It's all good. All right. I didn't know if that was a simple thing for you guys to do because I don't know. It could be. <laughs> it's all good. Oh. Verse 35. When Jesus heard what had happened, all the commotion between the, him and the Pharisees, he found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Or some translations, yeah. Go, Son of God. Essentially, the Messiah. The man answered, Who is he, sir? I, I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshipped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Mm -hmm. Is he talking about physical sight here? Spiritual. No, it's spiritual. I came to blow up your God box, essentially. Amen. This is faith. This, he, Jesus has, has been sent from his Father. This is his mission to deliver this faith. Sight equals faith here. I came to give sight to the blind, I came to give faith to the hopeless, life to the dead, the spiritually dead. He's the light in the darkness. He's the living water to those who are thirsty. All right, so what does this mean for us? Number one, don't put God in a box. <laughs> He's too big. We serve a very big, big God, and we can't put him in a box. He won't fit. Nope. <laughs> Jesus came to destroy these concepts that people had of who they thought God was in their blindness. He came to give, the, give them sight through the new covenant in his blood. Um, it's powerful stuff. Um, two. I don't even know if I have a two, but <laughs> <laughs> um, we see that this this whole story is basically a development of this blind man's faith. He goes mm -hmm. from, and it's very metaphorical. This is what John is trying to do here in his whole message of Jesus is God, the blind receiving sight. Jesus stepping down, seeing him, giving him sight, essentially giving him faith. The man standing up for his belief in Jesus to the Pharisees, whom everybody else feared. But perfect faith casts out fear. And then the story ends with worship of the living God. He sat there 
and he worshiped him because he had this experience with the living Jesus. He was given sight and he believed. Amen. That's what I have for us this morning.